the slide. This is the only one I have. This title of the message tonight is The Missionary Beginnings of Gentile Conversion. And uh, we're going to go back into our series on the life of Paul. And the series proposition is this. Let Christ live his life through your life. So that's it. I'm done. Let's go home. All right. Rick is ready to take me up on that. All right. So if you have your Bibles, we left off in uh, Acts chapter 9 with uh, Paul being converted. And you know what? I left my outline down there. So it would, would have been really quick. But here we go. Um, so let's look at the beginnings of the church in Antioch, Syria. Antioch, Syria. So this is actually in Acts chapter 8, where we see the, just a passing reference to the beginning of the church in Antioch, Syria. So Acts chapter 8, I want us to go down and we'll start reading in verse 19. All right, uh, let's see here. That's not right. Ah. Let's go back and just read it here. So you know what? Sometimes pastors type things wrong in their notes and they don't check them. So now they stand in the pulpit and they have to just read their Bible. <gasps> what an amazing thing. All right, so let's read what happens here. Saul was yet uh, consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Ah, here we go. And they that were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles and devout men, uh, carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, uh, entering into many houses and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. So what is taking place here in Acts chapter 8 in the first few verses? A persecution. And how do the Christians react to the persecution? They're, they're fleeing. Everybody except who? The apostles, all right, the shepherds stay put. They learn from their Lord that a true shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling would flee, so they're staying put, all right. And uh, so that's what takes place in Acts chapter 8, and uh, we see the, the persecution that's taking place. And then we see uh, another comment about these believers as they... Uh, went abroad that they started sharing the gospel, all right? Um, we see a few more uh, things that, that take place um, and conversion that takes place. And so I'm just trying to find this really quick. So I'm just going to read it to you out of my notes and then you can find the chapter. How's that? All right. Uh, it says here in verse 20, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number uh, believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, 
And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now that maybe sounds like chapter 11. So let's go over there and take a look. Yes, all right. Chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. So verse 19, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about who? Stephen. All right, so in Acts chapter 8, we just read that they were scattered. Here in Acts chapter 11, uh, it tells us where they went when they were scattered. So it tells us that um, some of them traveled as far as uh, Phoenix, which is Phoenicia, all right, which is the coast of Lebanon. Uh, then also Cyprus. Where is Cyprus? It's an island where? In the South Pacific? In the Mediterranean, all right? So uh, just a little bit south of modern-day Turkey. And then also it says that they went also to Antioch. Now that would be Antioch, Syria. Um, so this is quite a distance that these believers are going. Now, in July... Calvary Baptist is going to be celebrating its 70th anniversary. And um, I think we know uh, the names of those that were the original founding members of our church. Uh, Dewey uh, just passed away this last fall, uh, was one of the original founding members of the church. And so uh, we know the history. And uh, Dewey has actually a very neat uh, little board that he put together had all the articles of the pastors and the different events and the time frame and pictures of moving from downtown to this building and then seeing this building take place and all those things. And so it, it, it's kind of fun to know your church's history. Um, I've invited Dr. David Innes to come and preach for us on that day. Uh, he has just retired from the senior pastorate, so now he's called Pastor Emeritus of Hamilton Square. Uh, I think he was there over 40 years. Uh, he had taken the church when it had almost died. I think there were three or four uh, widows left in the church, and the Lord used him to rebuild that ministry. Uh, but that church has been in continuous existence for over 140 years. And it was started by a Swedish uh, sea captain. When he came into port, he was looking for a Bible-believing church to go to, and there weren't any, so he said... I'll start one. And so uh, they have actually have a hallway where they've taken pictures of all their pastors uh, for those 140 years. And so it's kind of funny to, to see the, the way uh, that the men, you know, change their appearance through the, the decades. And long beards were greatly in fashion in the 1860s. And uh, then those things kind of disappeared. And then you see kind of the 70s look and the 80s look, and you're kind of like, yeah, okay, I remember that. And uh, so these all are all very interesting. But this is the only comment that's made about the founding of this church. But yet, in just a couple of chapters, we're going to turn over to Acts 13, and we're going to see that this becomes the second leading church in all of Christianity. And it is storming in growth, and it needs help. And so we'll see how God takes care of this. 
Now, I have a question for you, and I want you to give me some feedback. All right, so uh, in what decade do you think that the church went from being a Jewish church to Jewish and Gentile church? In the first 10 years of the church, the second decade, the third decade, the fourth decade, or the fifth decade? What do you think? Okay. Anyone else want to venture a guess? The fifth decade. What happened to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? We look at the founding of this church in Antioch, Syria, but look with me at verse 19. Look how the church gets started. What's the last phrase? Preaching the word to none but what? The Jews only. Isn't that interesting? So they're scattered abroad. God is trying to do something. And the church isn't getting it. They're preaching the gospel just to the Jews only. Now, go back to Acts chapter 10. What we read of here in Acts chapter 10 is Peter having a vision and it's this sheet that comes down out of heaven and it's got these non-kosher animals on it. And God tells Peter, arise, kill and eat. Peter's like, no way, I've never done that. I'm a, I'm a very kosher Jew. I'm, I'm very devout. I've never eaten anything unkosher. I won't do that. And God has to tell him three times in the dream, no, arise, eat, kill and eat, right? And so Peter wakes up and it's because Gentiles are knocking at the door asking for him. An angel appeared to a Roman and said, send your servants down to Joppa and get Peter. Bring Peter back and he'll tell you what you need to do. So in verse 23, then called he him and they lodged them. And on the morning, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. All right. Now, Peter uh, walks into Cornelius' house and he greets him with such love and affection as a fellow human being. Okay, look at verse 28. And he said unto him, you know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into another nation. Doesn't that make you feel wanted? Well, you know I'm a Jew and you're not. Don't you know that it's against the laws of the Bible for me to be in your home? Isn't that going to make you feel loved and accepted and, and wanted? All right. And so God had to overcome Peter's prejudice. And then Peter even mentions this. But he's like, but since God told me to, I came. Like, 
I really want to be here. All right. So now God works and Cornelius gets saved. All right. So verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons. So it's not whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, God doesn't respect all of that. Right? So Peter uh, begins to, to preach to them and they get saved. Okay? And um, then Peter has to defend his going to this house. So look with me at chapter 11, verse 1. And the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Man, it's a crime. To eat with a Gentile. You, Peter, you broke the law. You have defiled yourself. You actually ate with a Gentile. And so Peter has to explain that, no, this was a direct work of God to get me to do this. And so they accept what God had done. All right. So look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. All right? So they're thinking, this is a, just a marvelous thing. We didn't know that Gentiles could get saved too, but... There's no doubt that God has done this, so let's give him the glory. So now they're having a little bit of an issue here, all right? There's just a sprinkling of people that aren't Jews in the church, and and it's causing a problem. But did you know that even the church in Jerusalem had problems between those who considered themselves 100% Jewish and those that were mixed blood. Do you know that? Let's go back to Acts chapter 6 for just a moment. Verse 1, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, the Grecians are not Greeks. All right. These are Jews that were speaking the Greek language. They were educated in Greek. So they are Jews, but they have a different educational and cultural upbringing. And so these early Christians uh, in the church are intentionally sliding the Hellenistic widows, excluding them from what you might call the widow's fund or or the deacons going. There's no deacons at that point. Uh, But the widow's fund in in taking care of them. So they elect deacons to take care of the problem. And they actually then uh, do start serving tables. And this is where the office of deacon is born. But do you see, from what I'm showing you in the scriptures, the Jewish mindset 
about sharing the gospel of Jesus with a Gentile person? Do you see the, the reluctance? Do you see the hesitancy? Are you following that? All right. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the beginnings of the Gentile conversion. Uh, we see that Cornelius and his household up in Caesarea Maritime, they get saved. And so, but that's just kind of like an isolated thing. We can live with that. All right. Um, yes, reluctantly, we will uh, share our resources with the Grecian, uh, the Hellenistic uh, widows. All right. We, we can do that. All right. But then the reaction from the party of the circumcision was this. You actually went into a Gentile's house and ate with him. How dare you? What are you thinking? All right. So now we're going to see something dramatic taking place. We see in Acts chapter 8 this persecution of Stephen take place. And they're scattered. And they went everywhere preaching the word, verse 4. They go to Gentile-dominated cities, but even there, they're still preaching the gospel to who? Jews only. So how do Gentiles get saved if the Jews will not share the gospel to them? So let's now go and look here at a couple of passages that will help us fill in something that the Holy Spirit is silent on, but yet we might catch a glimpse of what is going on with our character that we're studying. Who are we studying? Paul and his life. Now, remember, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is converted. And in Acts chapter 9, Jesus gives him a commission to go to the Gentile nations. But the first thing Paul does when he gets saved is that he preaches in the synagogue in Damascus. And he gets them angry. So he then leaves and he stays in Arabia. Now when you hear Arabia, how many of you are thinking Saudi Arabia? All right? Arabia in the New Testament has a much broader definition than we think of it today. All right? it, it went all the way into southern Turkey. And all the way down to the Sinai Peninsula over by Egypt. And then all the way over to Saudi Arabian Peninsula. So that was a large geographical area all the way over to Babylon. Uh, up into the, the mountains in Persia. Right? So that whole region is known as Arabia. So Paul goes into Arabia. And then he goes back to uh, Damascus to preach. And he escapes, he's let down through a basket, all right? But now, look with what happens here in verse 26. And Saul was come to Jerusalem. He essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how that he had seen the Lord in the way, and that it had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. 
And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed among whom? Grecians. So these are Jews that have a Gentile education, a Gentile language. And he's disputing with them, but they were about to do what? Slay him. So here's what the Christians do, the brethren, in verse 30. Which, when the brethren knew, they brought him, Paul, down to Caesarea. Now, wait a minute. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, Caesarea Maritime is north. So why do they say brought him down? Well, many times this word down in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is referring to elevation. He came down out of the Judean mountains at about 4,200 feet in elevation down to the coast. All right, down to Caesarea. So they brought him down to the coast and brought him down on elevation. They went up to Caesarea and they put him on a ship. And it says they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to where? This is Acts 9.30. Where does it say they sent him? Tarsus. Well, what do we know about that? Yeah, this is where he's from. And where is Tarsus? What modern day country? In Turkey. All right. Now, as I was reading through today some, uh, to prepare for this message, one central uh, truth came very strongly to me that I learned. Um, the book of Galatians is not written to, to the churches in southern Turkey. That's Cilicia. Galatians is written to the Christians in the north, the central and the north part of the country. Paul has to explain to those in the north and the central part of the country, the Galatians, about his conversion and about the time period around his conversion how he started preaching and so forth. Whereas having lived in Tarsus in the region of Cilicia and Syria, he wouldn't have to explain that. So he's there now, he's moved there, and he's preaching. Okay, so um, th then it just describes that the churches had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost was upon, uh, was upon them. They were multiplied. All right? Um, so this is now silent years that's taking place. And we don't know how many years it is, but Paul is in Tarsus, which is in Cilicia, and it is a co-capital of that region of the world with Antioch, Syria. Kind of a capital on the west and a capital on the east of this region. So now let's jump over to Acts chapter 11.
We have already read verses 19 and 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was upon them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was where? In Jerusalem. So the Jerusalem church is really the only mother church. And they get word that people are being saved up in Antioch, Syria. So they want to send somebody up there to figure out what's going on. Is this really happening? Are more Gentiles coming to know Christ as their Savior? So the word Grecians here actually means Gentiles. So the tidings come to the church in Jerusalem in verse 22. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go forth as far as Antioch, who, when he came, had seen the grace of God, um, that God was uh, glorified, uh, and he was glad, and he exhorted them that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Now look at verse 25. This is crucial. Then departed Barnabas to, where? Tarsus, for to seek, who? Saul. As he is there in Antioch, Syria... He's Jewish, and he gets sent up there, and he's not really maybe socially connecting with the Gentiles well. He's happy that they're getting saved, and God is being glorified, and so he's encouraging them. He's a good man. He's not a racist, right? He doesn't have these prejudices. He's willing to fellowship with these non-Jewish Christians but he's not quite sure what to do. But he knows of this Christian convert who is not too far away over in the region of Cilicia in the city called Tarsus who's been ministering for a few years and starting churches in Cilicia. And planting churches. And he says, I'm going to go look for him. And he can help me here in Antioch get these people grounded in their faith. So he goes to look for him. Verse 25 and verse 26. And when he had found him. So that phrase implies it took him a little bit. So maybe Paul was out in the regions of Tarshish. And so he was having to search for him. And so when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. All right. So evidently, through the Holy Spirit, he's able to convince Paul, hey, you've got to stop what you're doing here, and you've got to come back with me to this city in Syria, because Gentiles are getting saved. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I know what to do with them. I think you do. And so... Verse 26, 
And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So this is where Christianity gets its name. Right? They were known as the way before. But these people living in the city of Antioch look at these group of people who believed in Jesus Christ and they called them Christos, you know, from the ones who follow the Christ. And they, they look like little Christians. And so for 12 months, Paul now is laboring with Barnabas and the work is beginning to thrive. It's beginning to develop and to take root. But now, how do we know the date of this particular episode when I was telling you about the 5th century is when this change took place? Well, let's look here. Uh, Verse 27. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And they stood up, one of them named Agabus, and signified uh, by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of who? Claudius Caesar. Claudius reigned at the end of the fourth decade through the fifth decade. And we know that according to the history books, at the year 45, the harvest in the fall failed. And they replanted in 46, but the crops didn't take. And so by the end of 46, the famine is hitting not only uh, in that region of the world, but there's also historical accounts through Josephus and other um, ancient historians that tell us that famine hit in Egypt, it hit in Italy. All throughout the Mediterranean region, crops were failing. And so... God had forewarned the church that this would take place. Now, we know that that happened in the year 45 and 46. And so let's keep reading. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent to the elders by the hands of who? Barnabas and Paul. So it's very interesting, when you read chapter 12, it talks about the fact that Barnabas and Paul team up, and they go on this mission down to Jerusalem to deliver relief supplies. And there are certain things that happen during that visit, all right? There's another persecution that takes place. Peter is put in prison about that time, and uh, they had killed James, all right? So look at verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Those were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, that's Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him uh, to the the four uh, quintarians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So after Easter, I'll kill him, all right? 
So all of this is taking place about the same time that the famine is happening. And Barnabas and Paul then go to Jerusalem and they deliver uh, the supplies that are there. All right? So the story of Peter uh, takes a little precursor here and you get de- uh, distracted with that just a little bit. All right? um, and then Herod dies in verse 20 and so that persecution is over. All right. Um, but look at verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their what? Their ministry. The Greek word behind this is their ministration, or their diakonos, which is their deaconship. All right. So they're serving. And they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And so they go back to the church in Antioch. So we know that this is the year probably 47, 48. So we're getting into the late fourth decade before the gospel will then be a wildfire through Gentile peoples. Now, what I'm trying to point out to you tonight is this. We're all in this church together. Did Paul found the church in Antioch, Syria? No, he did not. All right. Just some men, unnamed men. And it's almost a gloss over, but the Holy Spirit does mention them. They started the church because they were persecuted and they shared the gospel. Now, that church got started just with Jews. Somewhere in there, there were some Gentiles that started hanging around. And they got saved. And then more of them came to know the Lord. And word of this came down to the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas up to check it out. Well, he's a son of encouragement, a son of consolation. He sees many Gentiles getting saved And he makes a connection. Saul. Saul. Where is he? He's over in Tarsus. He's in Cilicia. I'm going to go get him. Because I remember he was called by Jesus to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So my point is this. We're we're in this together. You don't know the impact that you'll have on your local church just by sharing the gospel. And the fruit of your labor may not show up for decades. You may lead somebody to the Lord. They may come to church for 20, 30 years. And you're just thinking, well, you know, man, they just never really bore any fruit in their life. Nothing's really exciting happening. I thought there would be more and more people getting saved because I led them to the Lord. Well, you don't know the whole story. You don't know what God's going to do in the future. Maybe they'll lead one or two people to the Lord, and those people will be used mightily of God, and a church will grow. Many years ago, I was uh, in fellowship with a group of Bible churches in the New Jersey region uh, called the Fellowship of Fundamental Bible Churches. They're Baptistic in their polity and practice, and they supported us in a church planting 
a replanting ministry up there in uh, Concord. And uh, they sent a couple of pastors out, and then we would go back there to their annual meeting and so forth. Um, but they had this little church, uh, maybe an hour and a half outside of the city, uh, in New Jersey side. And uh, there's a little town called Hardingville. It's just a farming town, just a little town. And that church has been in existence for probably about 150 years. And for 100 years, the church just stayed around 50. I mean, it's just a small farming community, right? Well, in the late 80s, early 90s, a young pastor comes in there. And uh, Philadelphia then is exploding in growth and pushing out into the suburbs. And this little town begins to get some more traffic. And this young pastor leads a few people to the Lord. And within just a matter of months, the church went from 50 to over 300. Well, that's just the way it can be in the life of a church. It can be around for decades. But the Holy Spirit will breathe upon it, and it'll take off like wildfire. God will send to that church those that are gifted to help that church. So what am I trying to say to you? Well... Paul was willing to let Christ live his life through his life. Circumstances dictated that Paul go to Cilicia. The New Testament is really silent about those years. If we try to piece this together, what I read in in studying this out was about six or eight years. And We know from archaeology that there are literally hundreds of churches that were in that region. Is that what God was doing with Paul during that time? But yet Paul is is really not known as the missionary or the apostle at this time. And now he's been saved for maybe a couple of decades. And so... Here, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, they preach the gospel. These Greeks get saved, and a few years later, some more get saved, and it attracts the church in Jerusalem. So they send Barnabas up. Barnabas is excited. He sees what God is doing, and he says, I'm going to go get Paul. He goes and gets Paul, and the church begins to take off. And we'll pick it up next week with what we know as Paul the missionary, and how the Antioch church had exploded in evangelistic zeal, and they said, this has to go out into the world. And now, finally, at the end of the fourth decade, going into the fifth decade, the church will go like fire through the Roman world.